Welcome to the podcast of Oak Grove Baptist Church. Today's message features our pastor, Jonathan Powell, and is the first message in the six-part series, Choosing Love. It's entitled, Love is an Action. It draws from Luke chapter 10 and was delivered on Sunday, April 26th. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm thankful that you all decided to join with us in worship this morning. As I said, do remember we have a lot of church families that are traveling, that are under the weather right now, so remember them in prayer. As we begin this study in our small groups on Sunday morning, looking at building stronger relationships, we're also going to be looking in our morning worship about how we can choose love and how our actions toward others should flow from our love for God. Now, it doesn't matter if you're married or single, if you're engaged, divorced, or widowed. Maybe you need to strengthen a relationship with a co-worker or a neighbor, maybe with a brother or a sister or a son or a daughter. No matter who you are interacting with, we are commanded to do so with love. There are many verses that reflect this, but one of the boldest is found in John 15, 12. And this is going to be our key verse over the next several weeks. And I want you to read this verse out loud with me. We'll read this together. John 15, 12, and it says this. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as Jesus Christ has loved you. Dr. George Crane wrote a story once about a wife who had came to him looking for some help with her marriage. She said, Doctor, you just don't understand. He said, my husband just aggravates me. He just gets on my nerves. We have nothing in common anymore. He said, he just picks on me constantly. He said, I'm not happy. He said, I want to leave him, but not only do I want to leave him, I want to hurt him. I want to make him feel bad and horrible for how he has been to me. Because I just do not like this man anymore. Dr. Crane thought about it for a moment. He said, okay. He said, if you really want to get back at your husband, if you really want to make him feel bad, here's what I want you to do. Don't divorce him right away. That's too easy. Go home for the next two months and love him. Drive him crazy with love. Compliment him on everything. Encourage him with everything that he does. Go out of your way to show how much you love him. And then as soon as that moment where he least expects it, then drop the bomb on him and say, I want to get a divorce. She said, I like that. It's a good plan. I'm going to do that. So she went home for the next two months. She complimented him on everything. She encouraged everything that he was going to do. She showed love to him through every single action, everything that she did. Two months went by. Dr. Crane hadn't heard anything from this woman again. He picks up the phone and he calls her. He says, oh, are you ready for your divorce? She said, divorce? So I love this man. So it's amazing how much he cares for me, how much he does for me, how much he looks out for me. So I don't want everyone to leave this man. You see, our actions can override our emotions. The way that we feel towards somebody can be changed by the way that we act towards someone. Love is more than just a feeling. Love is more than just an emotion. Love is more than a song. Love is an action. It is a verb. It is the way that we behave and treat other people. And we are called to love others even if we don't feel like loving others. Now, I look out there right now and I see some smiling faces. I see some heads nodding. I see some people thinking, oh, don't worry, preacher. I got this. I'm a loving person. I'm a kind person. This is going to be an easy sermon. I like those. I'm loving. I'm kind. This is going to reinforce what I already am. Well, before we start patting ourselves on the back too hard, 
let me remind you that Jesus Christ has a way of saying things and putting things in a way that steps on our toes, that makes us uncomfortable, and it's no different when it comes to love. He has a way of telling us about love that shows that love is something bigger and greater than anything we could imagine. So before we start patting ourselves on our back and saying how good we are at loving others, let's take a look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And let's see if we can find out and admit to ourselves that even though love is something that's easy for us to say, it is often hard for us to do. We're going to start off in Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. And there the Bible says, Just then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. Now we're going to stop right there. We'll pick it back up in a second. This is a question that we see asked to Jesus time and time again throughout the Gospels. Jesus, how can I inherit eternal life? In each of those circumstances, Jesus would always point someone back towards Scripture and say, what does the Scripture say? And then he would always emphasize love, God's love for us, our love for God, and how that love should be reflected in how we treat other people. Jesus turned this question back upon the man, and the man replied, in verse 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Those scriptures we see repeated throughout the Gospels stand atop all the other Old Testament scriptures. It's taken from Deuteronomy and from Leviticus. And if you follow those scriptures, you can perfectly live out that description of love. Then you would be the person God wanted you to be. You would do what God wanted you to do according to the Old Testament teachings. But it can't be something that was half-hearted. It had to be all-encompassing. Every part of you, all your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings, your actions, everything that you did must be controlled by love for God and for others. And so Jesus agrees with this man, with his statement. He says, I agree, you have spoken correctly. Love is a total experience. It's not just a feeling of the heart, but of the mind, of the soul, and of the body as well, an activity of your whole being. Love must control the entire person. Before we go any further, let's stop and recognize that fact. Love is not just something that we say. Love is not just something that we say. Saying I love you is nice, but showing love to someone is what will make an impact. And likewise, not showing love to someone will make an impact. I remember on a sitcom several years back I was watching, and the man was talking to his teenage son, and he gave him some awful advice. And most advice you get from sitcoms nowadays is awful. But this was some awful advice. He told his teenage son, he said, son, never say I love you unless you're in big trouble. That's the only way you can get out of it. And that's the advice, unfortunately, men, that many of us have gotten and followed over the years, right? We only say I love you when we're in the doghouse. That's the only time we tell our wives that we love them. When we're in really big trouble, it's the only way we can get out of it. That's not what Jesus tells us here. The scripture tells us that love must be all of us, our mind, our heart, our body, our soul. Our actions, everything we do, must reflect love. It must be a reflection of the same love that God has shown to us. Each time that somebody asks Jesus about eternal life, 
You get a feeling that this person was looking for Jesus to say, man, you've got it. You are, oh man, you are so good. You are on the right track. Hey, everybody stop and look at how good this guy is. He's got eternal life. He's going to be it. That's the feeling that you get that these people were trying to get Jesus to justify what they were already doing and saying. But Jesus never did that. Often he would point them to the scriptures of God's love and then point them to something within themselves that was lacking, that was keeping them from accomplishing this. Because it's easy for us to stop and say, no problem. Old Testament says, I've got to love everybody the same way that God does. I can do that. That's easy. Folks, it is not. In fact, it is impossible for us to love other people the way that God loves us without the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's the only way that we can do it. For the rich young ruler, he stumbled over his love of money. And for this scribe, it was going to be something different, as it would be something different for each and every one of us. Each of us has something within us that acts like a roadblock, a hindrance that keeps us from truly loving others the way that God commands us to. Sometimes it's bigotry. Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's selfishness. Whatever it is, it is something that we cannot get rid of on our own. So we try to justify it. We try to say, well, certainly God doesn't want me to love them. I mean, come on, God. There's got to be a limit to this somewhere. You don't want me to love them, do you? I think it's safe to say that this man wanted Jesus to give him a pass on loving certain people. He asks him, who is my neighbor? So he's just got done saying, well, the Bible clearly says I have to love my neighbor the way that God loves me. But Jesus, who is my neighbor? He's looking for qualifications. He's looking for somebody that he can say, okay, it doesn't apply to them, right? That's the same question that we hear repeated throughout the Bible. From the fall of man all the way to today, we are still asking the same question. Who is my neighbor? In fact, go back to Genesis chapter 4, verse 9. It says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? Do you hear the similarity in those two questions? Who is my neighbor? Am I my brother's guardian? The truth is, the entirety of the Bible replies to that question with the answer that everyone is your neighbor. And yes, you are your brother's guardian. That's the point of this pattern. We are to care for everyone. So let's look at what we've read so far in this. We have met... Three characters so far in this parable. The man who has been beaten and robbed reassumes he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho that he is a Jewish man who has been beaten, robbed, left for dead, thrown in the ditch. And then we have two people come by. You have a priest. Put it in modern terms, let's say it's a pastor. He comes walking by and he sees this man in the ditch. Now a pastor should run over there and help this man, do whatever he can to help this man. But what does the priest in the parable do? He walks as far around this man as he can. And then comes a Levi. Levi was somebody who helped the priest. You can say, put it in modern terms, that he was a deacon. A deacon of all people. Somebody who, who uh, is dedicated to meeting the physical needs of people in the name of Christ. Should have come over there and helped this man. But what does this Levi do? He runs around to the other side of the road. Has nothing to do with it. Now, it's easy for us to sit here and say, well, shame on them. That's horrible. I would never do such a thing. I'm so sure. That priest might have been thinking, oh my goodness, why are those robbers are still around here? It's dangerous for me to go over here. This is a bad part of town. I want to get out of here as fast as I can. That Levi might have been thinking, he got beat up. He must be into something bad. I bet he deserved what he got. I'm going to get out of here. Would any of those same thoughts go through our mind as well? Has there ever been time we looked at the situation and immediately decided what would be best for us and not consider how we can help others? And here's the thing. These were the people that were supposed to show love. This was Jewish men with another Jewish man. They should have loved one another. They spoke the same language. They dressed the same. They worshiped the same way. They lived in the same community. These were the people that should have helped one another, and yet they didn't. Have you ever been let down by somebody 
who should have loved you, but didn't? Have you ever been hurt by someone who should have showed you love and compassion, but did not? Let's flip that around. Have you ever been in an opportunity where you should have shown love and compassion to someone, and you did not? Someone that would have expected you to show love and compassion to, and you did not? Maybe it wasn't as dramatic as the Good Samaritan, but we've all done it. I've done it. I'll admit I've done it. I'll admit there are times when I've had friends in need where I could have helped, and for whatever reason, out of my selfishness, I did not, and I repent for that. And I had to go and apologize to them later and say, you know what, I messed up. I should have been there for you, and I was not. And I've had friends do the same thing back to me. Folks, it is hard to love. Even those people that we should love, even those people that look like us, talk like us, that we like, that we have something in common with, it is hard to consistently show them love. But God always shows us love. God's never too busy. God's never so concerned with other things that he doesn't have love for us. So how do we love like God if we can't even love people that we like consistently? That's the challenge. Do you ever place limits on who you're going to love or how you're going to love them? God doesn't. Do you ever look at somebody and say, God, I can love everybody else but them, and God says, I love them. Do you ever say, God, I can love other people in any way except like this, and God says, I love them. No matter what, whatever question, whatever qualification, whatever excuse we want to throw out there, God's response is always going to be the same. I love them. What could I have done for them? We cannot do it on our own. How can possibly can God show love to some of the people that he loves? How can God love me? How can he possibly do that? Here's the amazing thing. This is the one fact that God knows and has proven millions and millions and millions of times again and again. The only way to defeat an enemy, the only way to defeat an enemy is with love. Only love will defeat an enemy. Only love will take care of prejudice. Only love will take care of pride and bigotry. Let's pick the story back up in Luke chapter 10 with verse 33. As you see, Jesus is going to respond and take this parable even further because he knows of something this man needs to hear. Verse 33. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave him to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you have spent. Now, to understand what's going on here, you have to realize the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. They hated each other. I once heard an African-American preacher who was preaching this message to a group of young black teenagers. And he had to come up with a way to, to apply this to where they could understand what it was that he was saying. And so he said it this way. He said, I want you to think of this as the parable of the good skinhead white supremes. He said, that's what this parable meant to the Jewish listeners in Jesus' day. That's how shocking this parable was to them. That a Samaritan would stop and help a Jewish man. They were neighbors. They were cousins, the Jews and the Samaritans. And they hated one another. They couldn't stand one another. The last thing that a Jewish person would do would be to stoop to help a Samaritan. In fact, the Jews would walk miles out of their way just to avoid going through a Samaritan village. They would do anything to stay away from a Samaritan. And yet here is a Samaritan helping a Jewish man who had been robbed. That would have been shocking. Shocking to the people listening to this parable. But there's more to it than even just that. You have to remember who's telling this story. This isn't just Jesus Christ who's a good storyteller, even though he was the best. 
This is Jesus Christ to do the man's heart. This man was asking, who is my neighbor? He was basically implying, Lord, who is it that I have an excuse not to love? Who is it that I can get away with without loving? He was a scribe, an expert of the law. More than likely, he was a Pharisee. And by being a scribe and a Pharisee, he was somebody who trusted in his own Jewishness to be his salvation. He was someone who trusted in his keeping of the law to be what would give him eternal life. He was someone who took pride in being Hebrew. And since he took pride in this fact, he more than likely also looked down even more so on the Samaritans because they were different. And they were, they were strange. They were odd people. And Jesus took and plucked that out of his heart and said, here is the one person that you look down on the most. Here is the one person that you hate the most. Here is the one person you are bigoted to the most. And this is who I want to show you as the example of love that you need to have. What do you think was going through that man's mind as Jesus told him the story? I bet you he was standing there thinking, if that had been a Samaritan laying in the ditch, I wouldn't stop him. And then I bet he thought, but if I've been laying in the ditch and a Samaritan came up and helped me, how would I respond? What would I say or do? His mind was blown by what Jesus had just said. But you see, here's what God understands. The only way that we can truly defeat an enemy is to make him a brother. To make him a brother. Now that sounds crazy to us, to our human way of thinking. But think of it this way. Here we are rebels rebelling against the kingdom of God. We are fighting actively against the kingdom of God. Every one of us who do not know Christ has been a rebel fighting against God. And what does God say? God says, okay, I'm going to send my son to die for you to take your place, and then I'm going to adopt you into the royal family. How, what is my answer and my response to, to your rebellion? I'm going to adopt you as my own son and as my own daughter. He makes us brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ, even though we were enemies with Jesus Christ. That's the only way that you can defeat an enemy, is to make him a brother. Now, love does not mean that we condone their actions. Love doesn't mean that we even have to like them. Love means that we show them the same grace that Christ shows us. That Christ shows us. Love doesn't mean we always have good feelings for them. But it does mean that we love them as Christ would in spite of our feelings toward them. In spite of our feelings towards someone, we still have to show them love. How many of us now are still patting ourselves on the back and saying, how good am I at this? Folks, it's hard. It's impossible without the Holy Spirit in our life. And you see, that's the truth. That's the point that Jesus is making to them. He is making the point that we can't do this on our own. God expects us to love even those that hate us and despise us. We cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. And we cannot have the Holy Spirit without Jesus Christ. If we do not have love, we do not have Christ. Let's wrap the story up, picking up verse 36. So Jesus now is asking back to the scribe, and he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? So he's taking that first question, who is my neighbor? He's turned it around, he's brought everything back to that now, and he said, who out of these three has been a neighbor? And this is what the man replies. He says, the one who showed mercy to him. And then Jesus told him, go and do same. And I want you to think about that. The one who showed mercy to him. The scribe had no argument, no room for, for any maneuvering. All he could respond back honestly was the Samaritan was the neighbor. 
And then Jesus tells him, go and do the same. Go and show love. Go and show mercy to those who wouldn't show mercy to you. Go and love them the same way that God loves you. Now Jesus does not say here that it's possible to earn eternal life by loving God and your neighbor. No human other than Jesus Christ has ever been able to love perfectly in every situation. We cannot truly love others. We cannot truly love those who hate us, despise us, are cruel to us, pick on us, or spit on us, unless we have the Holy Spirit within us. 1 John 4, 8 says, The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. It is only by God's power that we can show love, even to those that we like, much less to those that we hate much less to those that are different than us. Now, what is it that we are doing when we show love to people who don't like us, who hate us? Well, what we are doing is simply this. We are to live out our salvation experience by truly loving God and others. Our salvation experience. What's our salvation experience? Our salvation experience is when God comes to save us who have no way earned salvation who have in no way been able to show or repay love at all, yet God comes in and saves us. And that's the same thing that we're supposed to do towards other people, that same love we're supposed to mirror towards them, is by displaying to them that same love that God showed us in our salvation. And by doing that, we're being a witness. We're showing other people how great that he is. Loving others not only leads to spiritual blessings for us and to aid for other people, because it does help other people, but it also points others to the greatest love of all, and that is the love of God. The love of God himself. I think I told some of y'all this on Wednesday night. This past Wednesday afternoon, International Mission Board sent out a tweet. And I've been looking to see if they sent out a follow-up, and they have not yet. This tweet blew me away. It was a prayer request. Try asking prayer for one of their local people in the Middle East who have been saved and discipled by an international missionary in the IMB. He accepted Christ, he was a Christian, living in the Middle East, living there where all the people were being martyred for their faith, where Christians were being persecuted and killed. And the prayer request was, pray for this man, he's having dinner with an ISIS commander tonight and he's going to present him the gospel. I want you to think about that. Here are these people that are beheading Christians on video, throwing Christians off of boats in the Mediterranean Sea, and here is this Christian who knows that he can be killed for his faith, and what is he doing? He's inviting this man to dinner. He's showing hospitality, and he's telling him about Jesus Christ. That is making an enemy a brother. That is showing love in the face of hatred. That is trusting in Jesus Christ and relying on the Holy Spirit. So I guarantee you, that's not something that you do on your own. That is something that you are led by God to do for Him. That is love. Folks, we all have an option. We all have a choice. We can choose each day whether to show love to others or to not. Let's choose love. This is Pastor Jonathan. I think all of us can agree that we live in a broken world. We see this brokenness in suffering, violence, poverty, pain, and even death all around us. In contrast to this brokenness, we also see beauty, purpose, and evidence of design. The Bible tells us God originally planned a world that worked perfectly. God made each of us with a purpose. 
Life does not work when we ignore God and His original design for our lives. Yet we selfishly insist on doing things our own way. The Bible calls this sin. We all sin and distort this original design. The consequence of our sin is separation from God in this life and for all of eternity. Sin leads to a place of brokenness. We see this all around us and in our own lives as well. When we realize life is not working, we begin to look for a way out. We try many different things to figure it out on our own, but nothing works. But there is good news. Because of His love, God did not leave us in our brokenness. Jesus, God in human flesh, came to us and lived perfectly according to God's design. Jesus came to rescue us, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He took our sin and shame to the cross, paying the penalty of our sin by His death. Jesus was then raised from the dead to provide the only way for us to be rescued and restored to a relationship with God. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16 Simply hearing this good news is not enough. We must admit our sinful brokenness and stop trusting in ourselves. We don't have the power to escape this brokenness on our own. We need to be rescued. We must ask God to forgive us, turning from sin to trust only in Jesus. That is something that you can do right now, no matter where you are at or what you are going through. You can talk to Him in your own words, saying something that may go like this. Father God, my life is broken. I recognize it's because of my sin. I need You. I believe Christ came to live, die, and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. Forgive me. I turn from my selfish ways and put my trust in You. I know that Jesus is Lord of all, and I will follow Him. In the name of Jesus Christ I pray. Amen. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When we believe, we receive new life through Jesus and God turns our life in a new direction. We are not perfect, but we begin to discover meaning and purpose in a broken world. Even when we fail, we understand how to be restored. The same good news of Jesus. If you would like to discover more about who Jesus is, if you want to discover how to live a life with Him, then I encourage you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m. at Oak Grove Baptist Church. I hope to see you there. God bless.